In the Newsroom is a production in partnership with Studio Stillwater. Every week, journalists from the Stillwater News Press invite listeners to join us in the newsroom and hear the story behind the stories. Hello and welcome to In the Newsroom. I am editor Bo Simmons. With me today, producer Chris Peters. Howdy, folks. City editor Michelle Charles. Good afternoon. Reporter Ashlyn Huffman. Hello. Oh, boy. Hey, what uh, what was the exclamation point discussion that you said we, we left off last week, Ashland? I forgot. <laughs> forgot what our issue with the exclamation points We were was. talking about emails. Oh, okay. Remember? Quotes. No, 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 no. Emails when you said that you don't send exclamation points in emails. Oh, no, I do. Actually, that's the only time I use them. Oh, yeah. Okay. You know, it, it's like that meme where it's like, hi, I'm writing an exclamation point now to show you that I'm enthusiastic and friendly. Now I'm going to end this, this sentence with a period so I don't look crazy. <laughs> okay. Here's two I don't more. I have seen that one. <laughs> yeah. But, I, but no, I, because I was thinking about that because, you know, so we'll edit those out a lot of times and in press releases, you know, we never write them ourselves, even if someone's exclaiming, we don't really use exclamation points. No. But yeah, I think uh, for whatever reason, if you're just, you can't say thank you without an exclamation point or someone's mm. going to, mm, did you even mean it? Oh, what was yeah. That? What was, oh, that was, it was very specific, wasn't it, Ashland? Yeah, because to you me. put thank I you, wrote, period. <laughs> Oh, no, you're referencing you're referencing a Facebook group message. Was it? No, no, this no. was Twitter when okay. I posted oh, that video Twitter. of Jack in the snow, and I was like, "Hey, boss, I know you hit the snow, but here's this oh, video yeah, of a dog." That was, see, that came from mm-hmm. me. And then he was saying, like, "Thank you, period." See, that was our our other weather event. We're we're getting really used to them here. Yes. Mm-hmm. So our yeah our other that was just a like four to five inches of snow, whatever that was, and we we're already sick of it, right? I mean, yeah. most of us. And I think I just posted something that said, like, the only redeeming thing about snow is is watching dogs playing it. Absolutely. And, and so you and sent me. I sent him a video on Twitter of my dog playing in snow, and he did not appreciate and, and she, it. She was crushed because I wrote because, thank you without an exclamation point. Because people are going to see that. And they're going to be like, oh, Bo doesn't even like Ashlyn. It's, it's better to not punctuate at all. Uh, that's what that I was going to say. Period. Yeah. It's like, why did you punctuate? This is Twitter. It's aggressive. <laughs> is there is there a part in the AP style guide that just says exclamation marks? Ooh, never I don't know. use them. I'd have, I'd have to go way back. I mean, is there like is it like, appropriate in I mean, like a headline college or college like, introduction? I mean, level? it's one of those things that's not even taught. Like right. it, it's not something right. you bring up. I think it's just a well-known fact that you don't use an exclamation point in journalism. Okay, but like if you're, I don't know, Pearl Harbor. Okay, things like that. There are certain events, there are certain things where I I, I feel like I've seen exclamation points yeah. in the past. Uh, you know, but only for very certain things. It's not something mm. that we're going to do. I will say I get a disturbing number of press releases that contain what feel like right. excessive exclamation points. Mm-hmm. And the idea is, and I'm, we're not, we're not just bagging on all writers out there. But the no. I, I think the idea for us is, we're supposed to be good enough that we can paint a picture, we can describe something, and you know, is show don't tell, right? That's the idea. Mm-hmm. You you can write something well enough where you can get the feel of an event or something happening without 
having to use a lot of adjectives or exclamations. Right. Now, sometimes I'll leave it in a direct quote if it's not the end of it with an end quote. But if there's a lot, I won't. But that's if they you're pulling that quote from a written quote. Yeah, that's only if it's a written one. I will never insert an exclamation point. I even feel a bit weird adding it to emails because I don't want people to think I'm overexcited. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do understand that. Even though at times I would say if you were just getting a transcript of of you, there would be tons of exclamation points. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I get excited about a lot of things. But. Yeah. but but no, you're right. It's like the same thing. The reason we don't use a lot of adjectives, a lot of adverbs, the idea is if you need, a, if you need to use an adverb, then the verb you used was not strong enough, mm. you know, and you need to really set that scene. But, uh, but yeah, that is a thing. Uh, as people communicate more and more written, uh, you know, texting and things like that, the, the grammar, what is accepted, what it's expected, uh, you know, changes in one of our group chats the other day. You know, uh, Ashlyn threw something out and Bo just threw her a thumbs up. <laughs> you know aggressive and, and we've determined that 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 is sometimes his uh his intention of kind of shutting us down or it's like very faint praise it's, it's basic acknowledgement nothing else I would so honest- then i tried to top it by doing a thumbs up with a period after it even more aggressive <laughs> this show title's totally gonna be well, full I'm, of exclamation right. no, points I, yeah but so, right. so my response on group chats has been just Futurama gifs. Uh-huh. Okay, but those are funny. Thing. It's almost like my dad, right. anytime I send him anything, all he says is nice. Like, are you serious? <laughs> nice? It doesn't matter what I send. It's always nice. Man. Yeah. No, Bo's lost control of the Futurama gifs. If you go to, <laughs> if you go to Walgreens, has. their in-store brand for like their chips and stuff is nice. Oh, yeah. It's nice with an exclamation mark. Sure. It's really nice. It's not just nice. It's nice. Oh, exactly. Right. Exactly. Oh, uh, local news. Um, yes. Michelle, you said the city was not, it's not just that they're, they've been hiring. Everyone's hiring, right? Sure. Absolutely. But they are actually maybe reorganizing to uh, alter their labor situation. Yes, I'm looking at some stuff right now. Uh, the city of Stillwater, like a lot of other employers, are is having trouble filling vacancies. And so they're looking at some of the things that would set them apart that would maybe make people more likely to want to work for them. I mean, in Stillwater, especially for like more blue collar type jobs, the city was always seen as a great employer. Like if you could get on at the city... You know, that was a good, solid job. You know, it was a decent wage. Good more benefits. Than you, more than you could make most other places. Good benefits, good health insurance, retirement. You know, it, they were very desirable jobs. In some of the professional categories where you need degrees and certifications in certain things like urban planning and engineering and things like that, apparently they're having trouble keeping up with, in, with private industry in terms of the wages. Hmm. Uh, now, they can't necessarily just start paying a whole lot more without throwing the city budget out of whack, right? So what are they going to do? How do you compete? You p- compete on benefits. You compete on work hours. You compete on scheduling. So that those are some of the things that they're looking at doing. There's going to be a study session Monday. Uh, it will have already happened probably by the time this comes out. But uh, where city leaders are going to be looking at that, um, what can they do to make working for the city more desirable 
Is it changing shifts? Is it sweetening the retirement system? What is it? What What is going to do that? And uh, I haven't read the results yet. I just got the stuff this afternoon. But they're also going, they did an employee survey to try to determine, you know, what kind of issues employees had. What could they do? What do people actually value? Because sometimes what employers think people want isn't necessarily, um, you know, in the changes that they make aren't necessarily the things that bother people about their jobs and make them want to work somewhere. So I'll, I'll be looking at that. I'm looking at that as soon as we leave here, looking at those reports. I've been pulling uh, unemployment statistics and things this afternoon. Because, by the way, unemployment yeah. in Payne County in December, 1.5%. That's incredible. That is incredible. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Lower than the state average, by the way, which was 23 which is still incredibly low. And, and unemployment numbers are only for people that for that actually file, right? So if you say you left your job for whatever reason and you do not file, you don't do anything, you are not necessarily counted in those numbers, right? Well, you don't have to be registered with the state unemployment system, but they it, it's generally people who are actively looking for a job or who have looked for a job within the last four weeks. And there are some other things, too. I'm actually also pulling up uh, technical definitions of these things because there is a definition of full employment, Mm. which does not mean everybody has a job. It's it's an economic thing. Basically, it means that everything's in equilibrium and that you have everybody working and the economy is putting as much stuff out uh, as you can without inflation going up. It's an economic term, actually. Yeah. So. Well, and there may be even a larger picture, you know, when we got our census back, you know, you know, every people are leaving rural communities for, you know, urban settings you know, or they were, you know, and, and within the last 10 years, that was sort of the, the trend. So I wonder, you know, a shrinking population could lower unemployment, you know, I, I would think, mm-hmm. you know, just... No, absolutely. Absolutely. You've got a lot of things. In rural areas, you are losing population in a lot of places. So, yeah, less population would be fewer workers. And then also, you know, the the impact of COVID. I mean, the fact is there were people who died from COVID who were in the workforce. Mm -hmm. There are people who are still dealing with long haul symptoms. Uh, You know, there there are and it's not just that. I'm not saying early that. retirees or people who chose to retire early. Think about the teachers who mm-hmm. chose to retire because they were not comfortable going back into the classroom. I mean, it, you know, the, the pandemic definitely had a ripple effect, but the, the, the result is that we're looking at historically low unemployment and we've got employers who are really, really uh, competing for yeah. those workers. Now, the interesting thing, though, is if you if you dig into LinkedIn and you look at people who are searching for jobs, you see a lot of people saying, you know what, I keep hearing about this and all these employers saying nobody wants to work. That's kind of the cliche now. And they're saying, I've applied for 25 jobs and no one will hire me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there is sort of a sense that some employers still have not made that mental adjustment and they still kind of feel like they can put out this whole big wish list of skills that they want or experience that they want from an employee. And maybe they haven't, um, maybe they haven't made their uh, expectations more realistic given the current job market, mm-hmm. or they haven't adjusted their wage structure yet 
because they they don't want to have to do that. So that's an that's another issue. So well, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, look kind of look forward to that to see how it all shakes out. Now, not as local, but I think Chris, you were talking about how we how we sort of bring something home to people, right? You know, the the invasion in Ukraine. Um, how we localize? Yeah, far that. far from our shores, but mm-hmm. you know how to how do we bring it? You know, home to our audience. And I was telling you, you know, part of when um, it was right around, uh, I guess this was my first year working. It was a year after 9-11. So, you know, different uh, people were enlisting and, you know, it was sort of like everything we wrote about was sort of a, a profile on, you know, people we knew who were going to war, you know, um the sort of rallies at home, those, those kinds of things. Uh, this is, this is a little bit different. Um, you know, the U S is not involved after, after 20 years of war, you know, the administration's really reluctant, reluctant to, to jump into another one. So we've been kind of, you know, I, I talked to, a an Oklahoma state, uh, teaching assistant professor of Russian who was sort of giving me sort of the, point of view of, of, you know, what he's learned about Russia's situation. Um, and Michelle, you talked to, who was it you talked to? I talked to Elena Atkinson, and she is someone who, if you've done anything with United Way in in Payne County over the last few years, uh, Elena was the face at the desk. She was the person who answered the phone. She was the person who knew where everybody was, who connected you to what you needed. She is originally from Ukraine. She is, um, uh, has lived in the U.S. for quite a while. She left in, I think, 1998, she said. She's married to an American man who is an artist, and she's a photographer as well as, uh, you know, being very involved in the community. And uh, anyway, yeah, I got to talk to Elena today. She has been talking to some friends back home in uh, uh, Kirkiv, uh, which is the, the town that she's from. It's in... Eastern Ukraine, kind of toward the north. She said the city is currently surrounded on three sides by Russian troops. Wow. And uh, her friends are reporting, you know, sounds of... She said she could hear explosions in the background when she could talk when she was talking to her friend on Skype. That's scary. And I, I guess you know, that's one of the more populous cities on the Russian border. You know, other places like Kiev, where, you know, people are entering from Belarus and there are different places, different entry points, you know, because Russia is so vast and, you know, they are allied with different people. But right. this, so they're. She said it's the, the second largest cities. city in, okay, in yeah. Ukraine. Yeah. Wow. And then, Bo, who did you talk to again? Uh, Jonathan Ludwig. Yeah, I guess I left out his name earlier. Yeah. yeah. He, and he's, I just saw, I saw like an interview he did um, with the Okali, you know, as a short interview. So I, I thought I'd ask him some more questions. He really is focused, I, I guess on, on the larger thing, but um, sort of, sort of the background and, you know, how Putin had got to this point, you know, very subjective in, you know, everyone has sort of different takes on it, but his is that, that Putin really desires what he calls like reestablishing the Russian empire, which I would have thought, you know, my first thought was, uh, you know, seizing Ukraine for, you know, its resources Mm -hmm. and for, you know, the, 
tactical advantage, you know, it, it would give them. And or in in the larger picture of sort of realigning the um you know, the old Soviet nation, you know, the USSR. And he's and he talked about it more in like even deeper terms than that of this you know, yeah, this, the, the old yeah, Russian Empire right. recreating that SARS, yeah. yeah, yeah, really, which would yeah, which would give him more power because mm-hmm. yeah, and, and it was actually interesting because Elena said exactly the same thing. Really? She said he wants to be a czar. Yeah, so it's like and mm-hmm. under because if say say it was just he managed to reestablish the USSR, and there's still you still have to have like consensus, and you still have to run things by a lot of people, and. So personally, he's seeking seeking more power. And and yeah. the assistant professor said that he thinks the only way this will end is if Putin is no longer in power. Yeah, I well, I think, um, and maybe he thinks that it could be the the beginning of the end. You know, depending on how things play out. Because at the beginning of this, I think a lot of the national community kind of thought either this is sort of a ploy to make sure no one else joins the European Union, you know, to make sure that uh, they can have that, they can control like the eastern border. And, you know, he's saying, and now a lot of other people are saying, you know, it's much larger than this. And I think the, you know, the current administration was in the intelligence they got were, you know, were saying this could be a full on invasion, which is much more of what it what, what it looks like now. Mm hmm. Right, right. I mean, uh, one of the things that, you know, Elena talked about that she thinks could make it tough in terms of uh, pushback, you know, she said that she really wants to learn more about the history of Ukraine because so much of the history that she learned as a kid was written by Russians from a Russian perspective. Mm. And so you're not necessarily learning about Ukraine as a separate place with its own identity. It, it was always within the context of how it related to Russia. And she has family who also moved to Russia, who lives in Russia. Hmm. And, uh, you know, she said her family members, when she talks to them, she described them as being um, brainwashed. And I, I think just what she means is she, you know, they get state-run media yeah. reports. And they accept it. And, you know, and they want to believe in their government and they want to believe what they're being told. And so, I mean, we see um, footage of or, or photos of, of protests and we're hearing of things like that. But then there's a question. I mean, Russia is a huge country yeah. and it's a question of how strong is that going to be? How extended is it going to be? And uh, what is what is the result and how hard is the military willing to push back? That was one of the things also that Mr. Ludwig kind of mentioned was that he said in Russia that the uh, the older population that's more tuned into Russian state media is more accepting. And then youngers, uh, younger Russians that get their news from a variety of sources are now maybe more open to, wait, uh, I'm not so sure about this. Right, right. And, and it's sort of... That's why this this whole thing, you know, feels like it's almost like a, a lottery machine where you know so many things, you know, just so many moving parts. Because, um, yeah, as as Elena is probably talking about, um, Ukraine has become a much more fiercely independent place. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, and and so they're not they're 
willing to fight and die for that independence. You know, it's much different than what we saw in Afghanistan where you, you know, you go in, take out the capital and just replace leadership. Uh, that's probably not going to be the case with Ukraine. Uh, you know, no matter what happens, you know, even if Kiev falls here in the next few days, or if, you know, Russian troops begin to, you know, mobilize and get there on the ground and occupy, you could still see this long drawn out battle. And he, he thinks nothing short of international intervention will talk Putin down from it. Right. You know, and then there's just the question of how much, um, how much stomach, you know, countries have for actually incurring casualties in the name of this. I mean, economic sanctions are one thing and, you know, we keep doing that, but it's, it's, it kind of feels at this point, like the, you know, kind of like sending a strongly worded letter or something. I mean, if the, if the other person doesn't care, I mean, they would, Russia would have to be effectively, I think, crippled and shut off and their, their oil markets would be huge. I think, um, you know, Germany halted construction of a, of a gas pipeline, which really, you know, hurts Germany because it needs that, that gas supply. Mm -hmm. But uh, apparently there are other European countries that are talking about doing the same thing. So, I mean, it's, it's just a question of where, um, you know, where that pressure is applied and at what, is there an inflection point that's going to make Putin blink? And nobody seems to really know, but it seems that he does have these very grand ambitions. I mean, as, as Lena said, who stays president for 20 years? You know, he's been in charge for over 20 years. Obviously she feels like he has, um, ambitions to be much more than an elected official it's almost like a a, a pseudo election elected official now a, you know right right a pretend democracy oh absolutely um you know and i i have to say i mean you know we've been talking about what you can believe and what you can't believe and there's so much there are so many stories coming out mm-hmm. and it's it's kind of overwhelming i mean uh, you know i've seen footage of um, you know and these are in major outlets that we're assuming have vetted them well who have people on the ground or there are Americans there Europeans there who you know have access right and uh, you know people are afraid to stay in their homes this is what Elena told me people are afraid to stay in their homes they're either uh, a lot of people are taking shelter in the subways and they're just taking their families and they're going down there she said the shelves are cleared uh, you know, not a lot of food, you know, stuff is already starting to, to run out, uh, f- fuel for vehicles. And of course I saw some footage earlier in, in the day that showed people trying to evacuate because there are people who are trying to get out. If you're close to the Polish border or, or if you can get to the Polish border, that's one of the few border crossings that's still open that you can cross on foot. And they showed this big long line of cars. I mean, it's just gridlock. Mm-hmm. Nothing's moving. People are abandoning their cars and they are getting out and they are walking, taking their children and they are walking across the border to Poland. So, I mean, this is going to be a huge uh, crisis in terms of displaced people. You know, I mean, we're going to hear really terrible stories. So, you know, it's it's interesting you're talking about uh, what we can believe, because I think, as other people have said, this is the first major conflict that can sort of play out over social media, you know, and we've already seen so much effort from journalists to sort of target and sort of elevate 
the things that they know for sure are misinformation, you know, um, and uh, what is I we read somewhere like TikTok was a big spreader of misinformation. Yeah, um, TikTok and Instagram. I was really shocked about the Instagram one. Oh. Um, apparently, there's an Instagram account that is um, called at live from Ukraine, and they're actually pretending to be journalists in Ukraine and reporting on what's happening over there. And uh, I know the other night when, before all of this actually happened, I went to bed and I woke up on Twitter and I saw things about explosions. And I was like, is this true? And it was like almost shocking that um, social media is playing such a big role in getting information out. But how much of that information can actually be trusted? Right. They'll just sort of like take an old video that's like seven years old from Mm -hmm. something else and like a filter on it say it's yeah. coming from ukraine it's yeah, yeah it's really wild or a, or a translation none of us know russian right. or anything like that and it's like oh this is what this person saying to this person in this video and mm-hmm. it's like uh, and we don't, I know. don't know yeah or asking for monetary donations i mean that's another thing mm-hmm. people are capitalizing on other people's pain and like i think that's what blows my mind is as a journalist i want factual information we put out there so it's almost hard to believe when other people use this as an opportunity to get money or followers or things like that. It's pretty gross. I, I saw a, a video that was posted to Twitter and it was of these, um, you know, like missiles going up. And there's a plane flying over and it's mm-hmm. being shot at. And I'm sitting there. I, I saw it on a couple of different accounts. And then I start looking at it. It's a video game. Oh, that's actually I saw that, too. Yeah. And I saw because what I saw was uh, it said uh, Ukrainian fighter pilot has taken down five russian jets and then so the U- ukrainian pilots being known as the the ghost of kiev and uh and then the i mean in the video it, it's very like zoomed in you can't really see around and then somebody in the comments was like do they fly uh f-15s or something like somebody could identify the plane i couldn't right but it, it's definitely being shared so I oh, mean, yeah. people need to consider what they i mean it's one thing to view something but maybe Take a second and then really maybe consider if it's even worth, you know, retweeting, sharing or anything like that. And me, I mean, outside of even opportunist and profiteers, I kind of wonder how much is almost state sanctioned, you know, because Russians have been filling our social media with bots for years now. So absolutely. So, so many of these things that are already established, you can easily, you could easily be some kind of Russian bot farm that's you know, elevating these things. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, and there are, I mean, you really do have to be careful. And obviously there's already a cyber war element to this. I mean, there was discussions about, you know, Russian cyber attacks before they actually move troops through. And, mm-hmm. you know, then I saw last night that Anonymous has announced that it has declared war on Russia. You know, because Anonymous people just going to war. <laughs> cyber war. At your keyboards. I think yeah. that's something, um, yeah, um, Jonathan Ludwig mentioned too. It's like, mm-hmm. um, what if what if it's cyber attacks that draw NATO in? You know, what it could be something like, in the, you know, you sort of like almost staring across this virtual field from each other thinking, do we need a preemptive strike? Do we need to, you know, do this or that? And do, do we go to cyber war with Russia? You, you know, if that's right. sort of... And then the, the, the craziest yeah. thing is, you know, the Putin and all that is, you know, threatening basically nuclear warfare. Like he's like putting those weapons right. on the table and it's like, 
Right. He's saying you come in, you physically intervene. I've got nukes. I mean, yeah. it's it's a crazy thing. And, and I have to admit, I woke up this morning. I mean, I, I told you guys that I wanted to talk a little bit about mental health in the context mm-hmm. of this because we've all been through a lot. I mean, it's, you know, and I woke up and I started just, I fell down this rabbit hole of news about Ukraine mm-hmm. and, and wound up in what I think I can only describe as sort of a pit of despair. Doom scrolling. That's what the I, kids call I, it. Yeah, oh. doom scrolling. I was seriously doom scrolling and it was, I mean, it was really bad, y'all. It yeah. really was. I mean, I've been... Uh, you know, I've, I've been dealing with what I would consider to be approaching a clinical level of depression for probably a year or two. And stuff like this mm-hmm. can send you over the edge. I mean, I, I really just wanted to like crawl in a hole. Yeah, that's what I've been saying off social media is because it's like my anxiety is getting so high from all of this stuff. It's like... I mean, I just feel so bad for everyone over there, and I know it's not about, it's not like directly affecting me, but it's still causing my anxiety to just go crazy. And it feels like such a cop out. I feel like such yeah. a, a, a weenie and such a jerk. <laughs> like it's a privilege saying, to be able to, for me tune to say, out. Exactly. Yes. For me to say that, because there are people who are afraid to go to the grocery store, there are people who have taken their children and are hiding in subway tunnels. You know, and no, it's too hard for me to read about. So I've got to look away for mm-hmm. my own mental health. That just seems like the the weakest, wimpiest, whatever to me. But then I tell myself, if would I say that to someone else who was having a hard time? And no, yeah. I never would. Yeah. I would never talk to another person the way I talk to myself. Mm-hmm. I would never say the horrible things to another person that I say to myself. So I think that we all need to be really aware and and take care of ourselves. And there's no yeah. shame. You know, anyone, no shame in seeking help, anyone who, who needs help. But yeah, there's, there's definitely secondary trauma is a very real thing. But also, man, it just, we're in the business where we tell ourselves we need to stay abreast of these things, you know, so we can have a, you know, so we can have a deeper understanding. We can only tune out for so long because right. it's our and, job. Yeah. And, you know, we, exactly. we expect that uh, when people call us or seek us out for answers, we'll have answers for them, you know. Yeah. When I took this job, I'm probably beforehand, uh, especially during like election time, it was just like, ah, I just want to tune out. I don't want to know what the latest candidates doing, what saying what, like it's not benefiting me at all. And then, and then when I got this job, I was like, okay, now I, I kind of have to pay attention to whatever mm-hmm. ridiculous so-and-so is doing. But then I, I never really thought, uh, I would be like typing words on a page that says, you know, one country's invading another right. and, uh, and like, okay, I, gotta kind of understand that a little bit and then also like i mean it's really given me a a perspective of uh sources uh of you know who to pay attention to and you know right now where we get our stuff is you know mostly through the ap that tries to you know leave out any um you know a lot of editorializing yes yes yes. yeah reuters is is pretty good too i mean you know there are some of the i i know people have this idea about mainstream media or whatever 
because of, you know, whatever your favorite, you know, cable news channel is, Mm -hmm. you're going to think that the other one's pretty biased. And, you know, it's important, as we've talked about before, to differentiate between talking heads and actual reporters, Mm -hmm. between news and commentary. Sometimes that's hard to tell the difference. But, I mean, just really watching your news sources. Um, Now, that's hard when you're in a situation like this because... People have evacuated, and a lot of the information you're getting is coming from the ground, and it's going to be coming from individuals who are just getting information out via social media. Mm-hmm. So sorting out the the wheat from the chaff, as they say, uh, oh, is going to be tough. I can tell you, I would have quit. I would quit Facebook yesterday if I wasn't in this business. Mm-hmm. That's literally how I feel all the time. I wish I could just delete my social media and do like right. a social media cleanse, but I can't because of my job. I wouldn't right. worry at all about exclamation points, uh-uh. Ashland. It would be all over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's why it's so important to get your news from actual news sources that are reliable and not social media. That I mean, honestly, I deleted my Instagram from my phone today because it's like I don't want to be seeing all these outside sources that are not factual. You know, it's not benefiting me in any way right now. And honestly, I don't use Instagram as much for work, not as much as like Facebook and Twitter and things like that. But um yeah, stay off social media and make sure if you're watching TV news that it's actual news and not commentary. Cuz people get them confused all the time. Just read the newspaper. Or, right. And, and, <laughs> I mean, and, take and a- think about what you're sharing before you share it. Take a yeah. break if you need it. Um, yeah. Definitely seek professional help if you feel you need it. We are not mental health professionals. No, we are uh, not. Don't take our advice, but <laughs> we are not doctors. Seek out professional help. Yeah. <laughs> disclaimer. I mean, right? Big disclaimer. But but yeah. So I mean, you know, and there there's a lot of human tragedy going on. So I mean, uh, those stories are going to be coming out. There also be stories of uh, of heroism and and hopefully there's a story of some kind of diplomatic solution soon, you know, and, and not so much bloodshed, but we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, uh, yeah, we'll have a couple of stories to look for yeah. and probably do a little following up, uh, see how things are going. That's probably going to do it for this week. Thank you for joining us in the newsroom. In the newsroom is edited and produced by me, Chris Peters. You can find all of our past episodes and show notes at studiostillwater.net. This podcast is made possible with support from the Stillwater News Press. Please consider subscribing to our award-winning newspaper and help support local journalism. Go to stwnewspress.com to sign up. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.